It's a list of who's who. Thanos, Loki, Red Skull, Green Goblin, Venom, Mysterio, Joker, Riddler, the Penguin, Darth Vader, Darth Maul, Emperor Palpatine, Syndrome, Mr. Potter to bring a Christmas connection, the Wicked Witch of the West, Lord Baltimore, Sauron, Hannibal Lecter, and the list goes on and on. They're villains in our stories, our movies, our books. I mean, how do you have a good story and not have a villain, a bad guy, a bad gal, someone to hate or be angry with, the villain, the antagonist. And yet oftentimes at Advent, as we delve into the story of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we often avoid the villain in the story. Because who wants to talk about the bad guy at Christmas? Yet there is one. There is one in the story of the birth of Jesus. It is, it helps us focus on unlikely power. And the truth is what we tend to do with villains, both those that we read about or we see on our screens, there are villains in our own lives. Those people that we portray as the bad guys, the bad gals. They may be people we've never met before, but we take the opportunity to talk about them, maybe even post about them on social media. There are villains within our own families. We talk about them, sometimes to their face even. And let's be honest, in each of us, there is a part of us that can be a villain as well. And it's rooted in unlikely power. You see, this unlikely advent leads us to a conversation about power. Power isn't just for those who hold status or position. Each and every one of us must deal with the reality of power. Power. Whose power? And who is it that we look to as our power? The villain in the story of the birth of Jesus is Herod. Herod the Great. Herod the First. He reigned for approximately 30-something years. He was the ruler at the time of Jesus' birth. He was a military leader of Galilee, appointed by a Roman leader. He was called king of the Jews, yet he wasn't Jewish. He was partially Jewish, and he didn't buy into it all. The king of the Jews, it was just another title for him. He rebuilt the temple, and that was great. Yet he built temples to pagan gods as well. Words used to describe Herod are ruthless, suspicious, 
jealous. He would kill several of his own sons. Herod is the villain in the story. Our Bible reading plan this week will focus on unlikely power. I encourage you, if you've not started reading, you can start reading this week. And we will start this week's reading with the reading about Herod. And today I am going to read Matthew 2. And several of the verses, you're going to be like, I thought we did that last week. And you are correct. And yet, as we read several of the verses from last week, plus some new ones, what I want you to focus on as we read the scripture is I want you to focus on Herod, how he's described, what he says, and what he does. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship. Moving ahead in the story. When they had gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son when Herod realized what he had been, that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod, our villain, and where we can focus our time together on unlikely power in not just looking at Herod as, oh, you're the bad guy or the bad guys that we see in our own lives, but taking a glimpse inside to ourselves about what lurks behind the surface, below the surface. You see, what we see in the story of Herod applies in our lives as well. Fear lurks below the surface 
of power, while anger is the weapon of misguided power. Fear and anger. Fear and anger. I'm not sure Herod would have told us that he was fearful, though he was disturbed. And his fear led to anger. His anger led to decisions which caused harm to others and truthfully to himself. Though maybe if we had talked to Herod, he would have told us he was doing good. Everything was working out. Because anger feeds us and there is power in anger. I don't know about you. Have you ever experienced it? Where it seems to elevate, to give a position of superiority. And yet we know if we look beyond our anger, if we look below the surface, fear is at the root. Something is being threatened. And we respond. And let's be honest too about anger. There are some of us that are blatantly outwardly angry like when we're done everybody knows that we were angry and then there's some of you all I guess I just identified myself as the one that's blatantly angry there are some of us that our anger is more passive and we kind of go eh see I've not done anything but we withdraw we may not be the outwardly Herod, but yet our anger causes damage within our relationships. Rachel Billups, who wrote the book, Unlikely Advent, says this about fear. Because what we know is that fear lurks below. Anger is a secondary emotion. Fear lurks under anger. Billups says fear was the currency of the powerful and it was invested in manipulating the people. Herod used fear. We use fear as well to drive us. What is it that you are afraid of today? Not that it is bad that we are fearful or that we are wrong. Anger and fear are God-given feelings. And yet what tends to happen is when they are out of proportion, is when we try to use our power to fix things, to control things. We see in the words of Herod was going to kill the boys to and under in Bethlehem, we see the connections with the Old Testament and Pharaoh fear, and anger. For most of us, we have not taken a life, literally. And yet, how does our fear and anger do damage to us and to others? Where is it that we need to be aware of that? Within each of us, there exists a conflict for the source of power. Power is part of living. The question is, whose power is it that we live under? Whose power is it? 
There's this conflict between self and God. We find ourselves seeking power through ourselves or through God. And for many of us, our power has been successful. We can look at our lives and go, look at what I have done. We have issues that come up and we think about them. We think through them. We use our resources to solve those problems. And we go, look at what I was able to do. Or maybe we don't even think about it that way. Yet we see that we have the power to take care of things until we don't. Until we come up against that, against that thing or that uh, circumstance or that person where we can't use our resources, our power is limited. And we find ourselves in a place of surrender, a place where we admit that we are powerless, that even despite our best efforts, we are powerless. And that is really good news. Because when we realize that we are powerless and we stop living out of our own power, we come to depend on a power much greater than us, the power of God, who is bigger than anything that I or you will come up against. And it doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard, that there aren't days that we're going to wish that it was going differently. But yet, the power of God, as we consider that conflict within ourselves, the conflict of whose power we will depend on, may we realize that it is God's power, not us which is an unlikely power. One of the things about power is there are consequences to power. They include destruction through hate or healing through scandalous love. Rachel Billups uses that phrase, scandalous love. There is hate. Power, we can use the consequence of power can be hate. That may seem pretty strong, and yet we see it lived out in our culture and in our lives at times. Hate is destructive. Hate, where the focus is on someone else, on us focusing on someone else. Have you ever had an experience where your entire focus was on another group or on another person, the consequences of power can be hate. And we see that in Herod's story. He's paranoid. He uses the Magi. He, he uses them to find out where Jesus is, where the king of the Jews is. And his goal is not to go worship the king of the Jews. His goal is destruction. And yet, what we see in the story of the birth of our Savior is the power of healing through scandalous love. Scandalous love. 
the love that doesn't make sense, that counters what our narratives are. The love, the scandalous love of our God, who loves us so much that he came to be with us through Jesus Christ, the babe born in the manger. Rachel Billups tells a story in her book about Stan. Stan is a guy that she got to meet through a prison ministry that she was involved with that she got um, to know about. And she invited him to come and tell his story at her church where she served. Stan starts telling his story and she starts going, huh, I didn't realize that's why he was in prison. Stan had committed murder as a young man. He had lived a life of fear and of anger and of hate. And when he entered into the prison system, it wasn't scandalous love at first. It was hatred. It was anger. It was harm that he did to others. As he joined a gang and he perpetuated violence on others. And over time, it shifted for him. The shift became the scandalous love of Jesus Christ. And people who he would have previously been in conflict with became his friends, became people that he cared about and for. His power shifted from fear and anger, anger and hatred to healing and scandalous love. It's the scandalous love of Jesus Christ that provides each of us as well as stand, a way to stand and testify to God's grace and God's love. You see, the manger, not just the place, but the babe born in there is a place of unlikely power that threatens and transforms because it's unlikely, it's unusual. It is a babe born in a manger. After a long journey for mom and dad, where the room that they found for them to stay was the room in the house where the animals stayed. There were no big announcements. There was no palace. I mean, we do a whole lot more in claiming the truth about the excitement of the birth of Jesus than would have taken place within that culture. And our God is the unlikely power that in the midst of this unlikely God coming to be with us, it is this unlikely power that we get to live out, not in showing how strong or how big we are, but in how low we are. Because the unlikely power of God is about humility and grace and love. It is scandalous. One of my favorite Advent quotes, because I assume everyone has a favorite Advent quote, 
comes from the theologian, the 20th century theologian, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And you talk about someone who lived during a time of power. He was a German theologian who was involved in the resistance against Hitler. He would be executed for that. And this is what he says about Advent, about Christmas, about the manger, about unlikely power. This is a question for you and I. Who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and let God alone be high. Whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness. Unlikely power. Our God. A power that is beyond our fear and anger. A power that doesn't come out of ourself, but comes from God. A power that is healing through the scandalous love of Jesus Christ. May we leave this place seeking that power, that unlikely God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we come to you in this moment. We believe that the Holy Spirit is at work amongst us. That through you, you have awakened in us maybe something new, maybe something old that is stirred up in us. Lord, we leave our fears and our anger at the manger. We seek to find you as our power, one day at a time, one moment at a time. We seek to be healing through your scandalous love, living out what you have so graciously done in us. And Lord, we bow at the manger as the babe lays there. And we relinquish that which we try to use to be powerful. And we seek to leave the manger where our Savior is born as a people transformed through your love and through your grace into your hands. May your will, not our will, be done. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. 
We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.